about him being headed to Jerusalem with a particular goal in mind. And uh, we know, because we've read the whole thing, we know the story uh, that it was to die, uh, to be sacrificed for you and for me and for all those that trust in him. We looked at the Lord's Supper last week and this picture of Jesus as the Passover lamb, that ultimate sacrifice for all of us and, uh, and our sin. And more and more of that plan is being revealed at this moment. And there's, we're kind of getting to the end of Jesus' life and ministry. And so he's, there's part of what he's doing here is he's preparing his disciples, these guys that have been with him uh, constantly for three years. And it's remarkable, I think this is regularly the case with the disciples, it's remarkable how much they miss. Even after being with him closely and hearing his teaching and all of these things, how much they get wrong, how much they're not prepared. And I think it's helpful for us to see ourselves in that position, that we're disciples as well. And even as we talk about some of the things that they're missing, uh, even those things, I feel like, even as I have preached them over the years, I I sometimes miss them. I'll talk in a moment about how that can happen, but uh, I I think it's helpful for us to see ourselves in that position. Uh, I don't know how many of you have seen the the TV show Alone. Uh, They're they're actually on their eighth season right now. Haven't seen any of the eighth season, so don't give anything away if you have. And, uh, but in the second season, okay, Alone is this show where they take 10 people and they drop them off in the middle of nowhere and they're isolated. They are alone. They're miles away from the other nine contestants. And, and it started off, whoever lasts the longest without tapping out wins. And, uh, and the first few seasons, it wasn't as well known. And so they just had a pretty random collection of people. As, as time has gone on, they have people who are better and better survivalists, right? Uh, but Second season, in the very beginning, they, they do these interviews with the contestants. And one of them, Desmond, seems like a really nice guy, really loves people well, but it, it, uh, it didn't, didn't go well. So uh, Desmond, uh, in the beginning, is talking about, I mean, he is one of the most confident people that I've, I've seen beforehand, right? Like he is talking about the fact that he was in the military, and if it was his time to you know, if it was my time to die, I would have gone in one of my tours in Iraq. And if a bear comes, I'll just say, hey, bear, but I'm not tapping out. And hey, bear is one of the things you're supposed to say. Like they're constantly doing, hey, bear, hey, bear. That's kind of, so that's, he was right to say that that's something he should do. It wasn't just like a, hey, bear. It was, he's going to do it, but he's not going to tap out. He's not afraid. He's like, if it turns into a fight, somebody better come save that bear. Because uh, I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to end up with a bear suit and I'm going to come out 20 pounds heavier because I will have all this bear food, right? So this is the confidence with which he speaks before he goes. And um, the, the people who last the longest last weeks, right? And it's different in every season, but they last weeks. And uh, most people last at least a few days or a week or more, right? First day, Desmond is out. He, he sees some bear scat hears some noises, sees some more bear scat, I'm out, I'm done. And, and, uh, and just to be clear, I would have been out, right? Like I would have even signed up for the show. I mean, I think he was, he was faced with, this isn't what I expected. Uh, I, you know, the talk about bear probably was overblown and uh, he didn't maybe expect to, uh, to, to be that close to that danger. He, he didn't also, I think he talked about the fact that he didn't realize how alone he would feel that incredible isolation, which I can't even imagine. I, particularly as an extrovert, like, just seems horrible. Um, 
but no support, right? And he referenced the fact that in the military, there were a lot of people that had his back and there was nobody. I mean, they are dropped off alone. They do all the filming on their own on this show. And so he is literally alone uh, with just the radio to call people when you tap out. And, and it takes a while. They're not like right around the corner either. So uh, he did not get what he expected. Uh, and, it, and it obviously changed the experience that he thought he would have. There's a sense in which you, you, you see Peter and the other disciples and their, their gung-ho-ness at the beginning of this passage. And they're like, they're ready to go. I mean, Peter's like, I'm ready. I'm going to go to prison. I'm going to go to death. And, and Jesus is like, yeah, tonight you're going to betray me. And we'll hear more about him actually betraying him next week. Mark Van Ness will be preaching next week. I'll, I'll be here, but Mark is going to preach. And, uh, and, and yet Jesus is like, this is going to happen, right? You're, you don't know what's coming. You don't know what to expect. It's not going to go as you think it will. And we're going to see here in this passage, there's what we expect, what the disciples expected, what we expect, and what we actually get. Those are the two points in the sermon. Let me pray and we'll look. Lord, I, I do pray that you would help us understand more and more what is real and true and what it means to follow after you to be your disciples, to be in relationship with you. Would you fill us with that truth in a way that we are changed and made more like Jesus? We pray in his name. Amen. What, what do we expect? So we're, we have to remind ourselves often because we're so far removed from this particular situation that the disciples, as they look to a Christ, as they look to a Savior, as they look to a Messiah, that they were looking for someone who's going to be a military ruler and king. And so you have this conversation about swords, and you have who we know is Peter, who cuts off the ear. We know that from the Gospel of John, that Peter's the one who cuts off a soldier's ear. Like, they're ready to fight, right? They, they, want, they want Israel to be established in Jerusalem for the Roman rulers to be kicked out, and for this nation, this military, political nation, to grow up and, and to be powerful and strong. That was... And that was much the way that God had worked in the Old Testament. He had established his people as a nation, but he's doing something very different now. And so their expectation is this military victory. I do think it's helpful to say this word about swords. There's some confusing stuff. And just going to warn you, I don't have all the answers, right? So in this speech that he's giving them to prepare them for what's next, he's like, you got a mission to go on. Gather your things, get prepared. And he mentions this thing about swords and having swords. And then they, they say, well, here's two swords. And he says, it's enough. There's some disagreement among scholars and commentators about what exactly is going on here. And, uh, and so one view would be, yeah, they have swords. And this is for self-defense. This is for protection. And, uh, and as they go out on journeys, it's appropriate for them uh, to have these swords. So Jesus says, it's enough uh, that, that you would have these in verse 38 um, and that, that it is self-protection, right? There's another view that would say, no, we know from other places that uh, sword is this metaphor for the word of God and uh, they should be prepared for this spiritual battle, which, which does seem to fit somewhat with uh, what's hap- what happens later in verse 51 and 52, after Peter cuts off the soldier's ear, and he says, no more of that. This is, not, this is not what we're doing. This is not about the physical battle. Put the sword away. 
and he, and he heals the guy's ear, right? And so, uh, you know, what do we do with this reality? I, I think one thing that we note is that this passage isn't teaching us about how to think about weapons. That's the first thing. So we want to be careful not to draw too many conclusions. But one thing that I think is, is absolutely clear here and in the rest of Scripture is that the sword or physical violence or power is never, ever used to advance the kingdom. It is never used for spiritual purposes. It is never used to see the gospel move forward and to fight for the church. This is something, there's a lot of continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The people of God in the Old Testament, Israel, and the people of God, the new Israel, the church, uh, now, after Jesus has come. But this is a, certainly a point of discontinuity. We are no longer a nation state that protects ourselves with an army, a physical army. We are fighting spiritual battles in a physical world. Now, we could spend a whole lot of time also talking about that. doesn't mean that the physical doesn't matter and all that, but we, it, it, there, it is very clear. And, and when, when Jesus says, uh, no more of that, in verse 51, he is making, that is not what is happening in this moment with this spiritual battle at hand and the gospel moving forward, me being the Savior and the Messiah. It is not a, a, a physical thing. Now, we might not be tempted to think that we're going to fight physically for the gospel. We, we, I, I hope that we're not, right? Like, uh, that has been the case in the history of the church, and it has been tied in directly with governments and armies, uh, and, and it has been a mistake. And there have been terrible things done in the name of the church as a result. And we're, we're, we're not there. We're not in crusade mode, and, and hopefully we would recognize that the church and, and, and some Christians and some, that, and some people that co-opted the church uh, used it in terrible ways uh, in the history of our world, right? But we might fall into the trap of thinking, well, it's not that, but it's, it's maybe political power. Or it's, it's the powers of, of laws that we're going to make to do the things that, that we want to do. That we might be tempted to uh, conflate Christianity and the American dream or, or politics. And, and we see that there are, are Christians who would say that the way to be a good Christian is to be a Democrat or the way to be a good Christian is to be a, uh, a Republican. And, and there are folks that, are, that, that dive deep into holding one of those positions and think this is the way to see Jesus move forward. And I think what we find here is absolutely not. That is not the case. And, and we could talk about the fact that uh, I think there are, uh, there are parts of either one of the main parties that are seriously problematic uh, when we put it up against Scripture. But there's, there's not really a good option there. Um, that's a different conversation. But, uh, but what we do find is it's that it's not seeing the kingdom move forward. Our hope is not in politics. It's not that we would get laws that would protect Christians and put us in, uh, in comfortable places. The, again, when we see that happen most strongly, it, it, it often goes bad for the church because the church becomes comfortable in that place and forgets what we're actually about. And in fact, when the opposite happens, we often see the church grow. And we've talked about this before as we've prayed for Pastor Wang Yi in, uh, in Chengdu, China, who is in prison now for the gospel and seeing that in, in moments in China over the last years, and in other places where it's actually illegal to be a Christian, we see the church grow oftentimes. Because the church 
And God's kingdom is not of this world. And it's not uh, dependent upon physical or political power. It is a spiritual work that God is doing here in really powerful ways, but not always in maybe either the way that we might expect or the way that we want, because it might be easier if it were to happen that way. The, the, the expectation of victory on this, uh, on this level is not an expectation that we should have. Or this expectation that, uh, that things should, should go relatively easy and that our, our problems should be fixed. Because what we have here is, yes, Peter's excited to move forward. And I'm ready to go to prison. And I'm ready to go to... He's, he's not saying it's all going to be easy, but he's saying this is, this is going to be clear and we're going to move forward and things are going to go uh, well because Jesus is with us. We, we often think of Jesus and use Jesus as an ends to a mean, a, a means to an end, sorry, a, a means to an end. We use Jesus and we want to follow after him so that things will go well for us. Uh, you know, I, I, I think about this as... Um, we in our church, we don't typically buy into what's called the health and wealth gospel. Just that explicit, if you confess Jesus, then you're going to be healthy and wealthy, right? Uh, and, and the Bible's clear that that's not a promise. And yet, and yet I recognize in, in my own heart, I often think that if I actually follow Jesus and, uh, and seek after him, things will go pretty well for me. That's actually what my expectation is. So, a little bit contrary to this savior who is about to be betrayed and then tortured and then killed, right? And yet that's, that's my thought. Even this morning, uh, here's my illustration. This morning, I'm coming to do the Lord's work, right? I'm coming to preach a sermon and I, and I run through my sermon on Sunday mornings and uh, I, I'm going to come and encourage and build up the people of God and and so I, I, I have a little bit of uh, an expectation that when things are messy in my morning, I get here and one of the first things I do is I, I had walked by uh, on the way here, Bova Conti, get a cup of coffee, and I, I spill it. I knock it over and I spill it all over the table and the floor. So not only is my coffee gone, but then it's a lot of coffee that I have to clean up, right? It's not going well. And then I come in and the heater's been turned off. This temporary heater that doesn't work very well. And who would turn off the heater? And then we have a problem with the lock and trying to figure out how to make sure people get in. And, not, and, and, and I'm like, I'm, I'm preparing my sermon here. This shouldn't, this shouldn't happen. I mean, that's where my heart is, right? Like, that's not the way it should work. Uh, and, and that's indicative of my heart regularly. If, oh, if I'm pretty, pretty faithful to God and following after him, and particularly if I'm doing kingdom work, then things should go pretty well for me. No, kingdom work is happening here, and Jesus is about to experience the greatest injustice ever. It is a mess. Jesus did, did not go uh, to make things easy for us. And he's setting, not only is he accomplishing a work for us, he's, he's inviting us to call, to follow after him, to take up our cross, our suffering daily. Wait, you mean he's going to be betrayed and arrested? Uh, this is, uh, I don't know if this is what I signed up for, right? Peter thinks he's ready. I'm all in. It, you know, this whole idea of them, them getting to this moment where Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. And he's saying, here's this mission. And so you've got to be prepared and gather the knapsack and get ready to go on this mission that I'm about to send you on. And there, if we remember from two weeks ago when Dan preached, 
It, it was a, wait, well, yeah, but who's, who's the best? Who's the greatest in our group? And yeah, oh, and we're ready. And then they're about, and then Peter's about to betray. And they're actually all about to turn away. We know from Matthew that they all run away. They all flee after this arrest. And, uh, and, and yet right before they, they think they've got it figured out. They're ready to go. It's like, it, it's like a coach saying, okay, here we are. It's the game of, game of your life. You haven't won a playoff game in 31 years. And now you're here at the Super Bowl after having won multiple playoff games. And, and, and you're ready to go. And then imagine they, the, the players. That, that's actually a rep today. This is a Super Bowl. You're not aware. And the Bengals hadn't won a playoff game in 31 years. And they're about to play for the Super And they're playing in the Super Bowl today, right? And imagine the coach is, is telling them and he's building them up. And he says, get excited. And, the, and this isn't going to be easy because this team that we're playing, the Rams, they're pretty good. And, uh, and, and so they walk away from that and they go, yeah, but who's the MVP of the team? Let's, let's talk about who's the best. And, and, you know, let's actually go out there and, and let's just knock them all over. Even after the whistle blows, we're just going to do it like we want to do it, even though that's not the way it's supposed to happen. I mean, that's a little bit of what they're talking about here. I mean, it may be a more akin because there's more at stake to like a general or some commander gathering his uh, soldiers and saying, we're about to enter into battle and some of you are going to lose your lives. And, and, they, and they then start to go, yeah, but who's, who's the best soldier? And then, yeah, I, you're telling us that we should uh, come around here on their flank and, uh, and we, that some go this way, but you know, we're just going to do it our way. Uh, that's a little bit what we have going on here with the disciples. They are not getting it. Because what do they get? <laughs> they get this mess. They get a savior, a king. We talk regularly about, we talk about this kingdom work because Jesus is the king. And you think the king is going to be this one who reigns and rules. And he does get there. But first, he's betrayed by Judas. And we know, I mean, Judas, come on. He's this guy that has had issues all along. And he stole from the disciples and from Jesus already. And, uh, and like, this guy is going to be the one. Uh, it, Jesus, the king, is going to be tripped up by this guy? And the chief priests and scribes who seem to be just inept uh, in their ability to lead, and like they're, they're hiding, they're over in the corner, they're preparing uh, to, this plan to, to take Jesus. They're not going to do it out in open because they're scared of the people. These people, they're going to be the ones that are going to do Jesus in? And that's exactly what happens. Jesus is betrayed. And... He's betrayed to go to death. He's betrayed to die. Jesus is going to be, verse 37, this fulfillment of Scripture, fulfillment of the, the long story, Jesus is going to be named among the transgressors. What's he talking about there? Why is that such a big deal? He's going to be, he, the only perfect human being, God in the flesh, is going to be named as sinful and deserving of death. The wrath of God. He's going to be named as a transgressor. I mean, the ultimate injustice. This is, wait, this, is, this doesn't make sense. This isn't what should be happening. What, what the disciples are stepping into is, is failure. Remember, Peter and the rest of the disciples, he often is speaking on behalf of the disciples. I'm ready. We're ready. Let's, let's do it. To prison, to death, what, whatever it takes. They, they think they know, but what they get is failure. So even when Peter tries to probably kill the soldier and misses and just gets his ear, it, he, he realizes, wait, th this, this whole endeavor, it's a, 
according to his plan, is a failure. And then we see that they, they continue to fail all along the way, not only in this passage, but certainly in this passage. Jesus is asking them right before this, right before the actual betrayal, uh, to pray. I mean, it feels like a pretty simple request, right? He's, he's preparing them for this big mission. He's like, I'm going to go right over here, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to pray, and I'm asking you to pray with me, to, to be with me in this moment, uh, and to avoid temptation, that, that they would pray to avoid temptation. That's the temptation, I think, to get it wrong, the temptation to be focused on the wrong thing, uh, to be distracted by the cares of this world. And they're, they are experiencing the cares of this world, certainly. Right? Like, it's, not, it's not saying there's not something big going on here. It's not saying this is easy. But what do they do? They fall asleep. They fail. Peter fails. Then we know that he's going to actually betray him. And this is true of all the disciples. Again, Matthew 26, 56, Matthew's version uh, account of the same story. He says that all the disciples left him and fled. So it's not just Peter who betrays him. They all run away because they're terrified. They were not ready for this. And our temptation is to do the same in different ways. It might just be that we kind of fall asleep. We just get distracted. We just don't think about the Savior. It might be that we actually deny him in either the way that we live or the things that we say because it's becoming less and less popular. We're not in China. We're not in danger at this moment of uh, uh, any kind of prison sentence for following Jesus. But we're in danger of ridicule. We're, we're in, in, in danger of people thinking that we're foolish. And we don't, we don't like that. that that's, a, that's a struggle. Some of us actually would, would rather fight the physical fight than be disliked by other people. I, I get, I'm a people pleaser. I, I, I want other people to like me. I want other people to think I'm uh, smart and good. And, and uh, I, I, I don't want people to think I'm foolish. That call to seek, to pray, and just support Jesus is one that they, that they miss. Uh, and then we have the, the suffering. But what do they actually get? They, get? they get suffering. And Jesus first is betrayed. We know that he is going on to, we'll, we'll see over the next weeks, that he is tortured and killed. We, we know uh, that the disciples are actually called to follow him in that. Again, the gospel doesn't move forward with physical power. All of the disciples but one, is, is church history tells us, is killed for uh, preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So it's, it's a, there's a tough road ahead. This is incredible injustice, this power of darkness. This your hour, verse 53, and the power of darkness, Jesus said. He is recognizing there is a deep, deep problem here, that something is not right. So again, it's not just, oh yeah, you follow Jesus and it's all, you know, some, there's a power of darkness here. But to get to the resurrection, to get to salvation, to get to his work for us, uh, he has to go through that power of darkness. He has to go through uh, the incredible difficulty, from the incredible injustice. That's not what we, we, and we think, again, we think, oh, that's just, that happened then, that's done. The resurrection has happened, and so it's all good. But no, he calls us to take up our cross, to experience some of that, to, to live what we call a cruciform life, to, to have and experience some of this ourselves. 
We, we, we dove into this deeply when we looked at 1 Peter uh, a few years ago, that we're, we're called and should expect to experience some suffering and some loss. One of the ways that it stands out to me in this passage is uh, this idea of Jesus experiencing one of the things that you wouldn't expect, the king, uh, the, the second person of the Trinity who had perfect fellowship and union with the Father and the Spirit from eternity past. He, he experiences what we could, could absolutely see as torment and deep loneliness here. He, he goes off to the side that his buddies, the guys that he's closest to uh, on this earth, all fall asleep. And he's left over here. And then he's arrested alone and they all flee. Peter, maybe the most outspoken, denies him that's coming. And he's going to die alone, forsaken by the father even. This is part of the judgment that he experiences. And, and I think it's help for us, helpful for us to think about the sacrifice that he's going to experience. And it's not just the death. It's not just that he's a martyr. Though that's significant. There have been many martyrs throughout history. There is a broken relationship with the Father. That perfect relationship that he has had for eternity past, the the Father turns his back on him as he experiences suffering and death for us, as he becomes named a transgressor. He experiences the wrath of God in that way so that, that he is tormented by the fact that he is going to experience this loneliness, this brokenness, So he withdrew from them a stone's throw and knelt and prayed, verse 42, saying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Remove this cup. This cup, all throughout the Old Testament, there is this picture of the cup as God's cup of wrath. God's wrath poured out upon injustice and sin and brokenness and rebellion against him. And Jesus is recognizing that cup is about to be poured out upon me. And and it is a lonely place that Jesus finds himself It is a lonely place. Um, So he prays and he experiences help from from the father as an angel comes to him and strengthens him so that he might continue with this call that he's been given. But this recognition that this is painful enough, that the relationship being broken is painful enough that he he sweats blood. There's actually a uh, this is a uh, medically recognized phenomenon. Hematidrosis, I'm sure I pronounced that correctly, uh, that when extreme stress uh, can cause the capillaries in the, uh, to, to burst and for someone to sweat blood uh, and in deep emotional moments. And this is what Jesus is experiencing, recognizing that he's about to uh, experience the loneliness and then the suffering and the death and all of that at the same time. I think there is incredible hope for us as we recognize this. And in a time where... Uh, loneliness is a significant problem. And that all of us, to some degree or another, struggle with loneliness. I cannot count the number of conversations. I I could count, probably, uh, and the number would be high, of conversations that I've had with people that are struggling with loneliness. And this was true before the pandemic, but it's only increased since then. It was actually, I think it was right before the pandemic, that uh, the UK recognized that loneliness was such an epidemic and a problem that they, they created a position, the minister of loneliness, um, to deal with this as, a, as, a, uh, as an epidemic in their country. And that was before the pandemic. And so with the pandemic and with social media, which is really just isolating, we, you know, we like to think that it connects us to a lot of people. It allows us to see all the things that we're missing, 
All the people that are hanging out that we're not able to hang out with or do, they're doing things, we're not able to do those things. It, their life is great uh, and uh, mine's not. Like it, it is, there are all kinds of things that are, are moving us to experience loneliness. And, and as Jason prayed, we have uh, Valentine's Day. I, I hear that's a, a holiday coming up soon. Um, and Hallmark did a great job of creating this holiday and making a lot of money. But uh, there is a reality to people thinking, uh, you know, if I were just in a relationship, my loneliness would be fixed. And, and then there are people in relationships that are struggling in their relationship. And actually, then the loneliness becomes uh, even greater. There, there are folks who are kids uh, not uh, connecting well, and they think, well, I'll just get older, then, uh, the, then I'll find connections and friends. And, uh, and there are folks that are older saying, I wish I had friends that I had when I was younger. And, I mean, it's just loneliness is, is an issue across the board. And, uh, and I think there's incredible hope here to, to see that Jesus, our Savior, the one who we talked about last week, deeply wants relationship with us. He cares about us and all of our mess, that he experienced loneliness uh, himself, and that he can sympathize with us in that. And that he offers not only the angel that came to strengthen him, but he has, has told us as well that his spirit will come uh, and minister to us when he leaves. There's incredible hope here. And that doesn't mean, and actually, I think that actually gives us strength and power to move forward to actually connect with one another, too. I'm not just saying, oh, the Holy Spirit, it'll be fine. But he actually, through his power of reconciliation, where he actually does uh, help us enter into relationship with one another and find connection with one another. And sometimes that is working better than others, and sometimes we need help and we need to pray, and, uh, and sometimes uh, he gives us that in uh, beautiful ways. And, and we should work toward that. As he enters into this incredible, lonely place, we recognize that he's doing that. What he's accomplishing for us is salvation. Him named among the transgressors. Him being betrayed. Him having God's cup of wrath poured out upon him is allowing him to be what we talked about last week, the Passover lamb, that ultimate sacrifice that he has given for you and for me so that God's wrath would pass over us, so that we would be drawn into relationship with the Father. And all of this we see as he's doing this with these disciples who are so wrong in this passage, who are fleeing from Jesus in this moment. He's doing this for them, and he's doing this for you and for me based on his work and his love and his power, not upon ours. So that we can find incredible hope that we're going to get it wrong. There are things that we're going to continue to expect and be wrong about. There are going to be continue to be ways in which we run from Jesus. But there's an invitation to run to him. To come to this table in a moment and to trust in him. For relationship, for hope, for salvation. Because that's what he offers us. Based on what he has done, not on what we are able to do. Let me pray.